Greetings, friends. We are so thrilled that you're joining us online. Hey, would you just take a moment, if you haven't already, and in the comments section, just go ahead and let us know uh, who you are and where you're watching from. We love just having a better sense of um, knowing who we're worshiping with together. Um, So, hey, a couple of years ago, a couple of winters ago, I had the really unique, probably once-in-a-lifetime experience of traveling across over 400 miles of the Iditarod Trail in the backcountry of the Alaskan frontier. Truly amazing and unforgettable. And while I'm always up for a new adventure and a challenge, and I love learning new things, I wasn't there because of my survival skills. I was there uh, serving as a translator for the 14 Chinese tourists that we were taking across this expedition. But thankfully, there were some outdoor survival experts with us and a number of people who had raced along the Iditarod Trail. So believe me, I hung on their every word and I obeyed everything they said about what to wear, what to do, and how to do it. I knew that my very life and survival depended on it, and it allowed me to participate in this amazing adventure with confidence. Um, you know, I've been, and it's, if I had been told that I had to go out on that adventure on my own, I never would have done it. But it's because of my confidence in who I was with that I was ready to step out into this adventure. You know, I've heard it said like this, that followers of Jesus don't always know where they're going, but they know who they're with, or maybe better yet, who is with them. And it's this that gives us the confidence to step out in faith with God with certainty into the great adventure, the risk, the life that he is calling us to live. And this is exemplified in our passage today. Today we're going to continue our series in Hebrews called Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11 verses 8 through 16. 17 times in, the chap- in Hebrews chapter 11, we see the phrase, by faith. It introduces every person and every story. See, because faith is the starting point and it's evidenced in action. We all place our faith in something or someone, don't we? If you want to know where you place your faith, you just follow your money trail or follow your calendar or your social media feed or your news media outlet and you'll find who or what you've placed your faith in. But today we come to an important figure in the Bible and particularly in the topic of faith. Abraham is mentioned around 312 times, whether it's Abram or Abraham in the Bible and is often referenced as an example of what it means to have faith in Jesus. So if you're joining us today and you're exploring what faith in Jesus looks like, I'm confident that you'll find in Abraham uh, situations that speak to many of the initial questions and decisions that you'll be facing. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I'm confident that you will see in Abraham's journey what it means to live as an exile in this world. As we observe the faith and the story of Abraham, we'll see three stages in his journey journey today in the part in the portions that we look at today that I believe are every bit as true for us today the first is the transformation of faith second is the obsession of faith and third is the tension of faith so in Hebrews chapter 11 the author opens up like this by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going 
by faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Now we're going to skip verses 11 through 12, because we're going to come back to those in the summer. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. See, the writer of Hebrews introduces us to the opening scene in the life of Abraham. But I think that it's important for us today that we go back to the original source of the story itself. And though we first hear of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, I'm going to make the the case today that I really believe that his story is rooted in Genesis chapter 11, which starts off like this. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city. Listen to this. Let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So they wanted to build a city for themselves and make a name for themselves that, to prevent from being spread over the face of the earth. But God, as the story continues, sees what they're doing and is disturbed by the motivations of their heart, comes down, confuses their language, and disperses them over the face of the earth, the very thing that they were trying to avoid. As the story unfolds, we come next to a list of descendants who came from this these people, and in that list is a man named Terah, who has sons, one of them whose name is Abram, later to be renamed Abraham. And they left their land, the land of Ur of the Chaldeans, to go into the land of Canaan. But when they arrived at Haran, they settled there, the story says. So it's at this point that we're introduced to the story that the writer of Hebrews references today in Genesis chapter 12 which opens up like this. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And listen to this. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So as we examine Abraham's faith journey, I want us to see ourselves in this story. I want you to discover where you're at in this faith journey process and where God wants to lead you. The first stage is the transformation of faith. So let's just look at the process of transformation that Abraham's life shows us. We see that his ancestors, much like ours, were a people whose faith was in their own efforts and their own abilities. Their motivation was to, to demonstrate their self-sufficiency in building a tower that reached to the heavens. 
There's self-preservation by building a city. And there's self-exaltation in establishing a name for themselves. See, a city was representative of safety, of security, of progress, of wealth. And one's name was sort of a way of encapsulating a person's identity and success. Maybe similar to how we use it today when we say, hey, go make a, go make a great name for yourself. Or that family's name carries a lot of weight. But his ancestors at the Tower of Babel learned that sin will take you farther than you want to go and cost you more than you want to pay. So you may think that the meaning of life is to be free, but you're not actually as free as you think that you are. We all live for something, and whatever we live for will end up becoming our master. And this is Abram's background. His father, Terah, his name literally in Hebrew means moon. And the people of the, of the Ur of Chaldeans, where they lived before, they worshipped the moon. See, see, Abraham was raised in a culture, in a worldview of people who worshipped all kinds of other gods. He, he, in other words, he wasn't raised in your traditional God-fearing Christian home. Abraham had a very different background and a worldview that shaped him very different than the one true God. And then God called out to Abram and he told him to go and to leave it all behind. And Abram had a decision that he'd have to make. But interestingly enough, when God calls to Abraham, he included saying, I will make for you a great name and I will give you an inheritance, a land, a blessing, a city and a new country. You will be the father of nations. In fact, later God would change his name to make this very clear. The question is, would Abraham follow in the footsteps of those before him and pursue this on his own? Or would he follow God and allow God to establish all these things for him? Would he follow the ways that he had seen and he had heard of before? Or would he follow God? Abraham's faith transformation started with a step to turn away from self-exaltation and self-preservation to self-sacrifice and submission. And so we see that God uses ordinary, broken people who will surrender and put their faith in him. So the question is, is that you? Have you thought that your background was too sordid or too dark, or too broken, that God certainly couldn't use you for his purposes. And this is a decision that we all have to make, isn't it? Whose voice will we listen to? Whose path will we follow? See, faith is evidenced in action. Our actions will show, will reveal where it is that we've placed our faith. And Abraham decided to follow God. And there, his transformation began. But his faith journey immediately confronted the idols of his past. The idols of safety, security, and success. Hebrews 11.8 says that by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he, and, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Genesis 12 God says to him, go from your country, from your kindred, from your father's house. Leave this all behind. 
not knowing where he was going. Go from your country. This is your nationality, your, your protection, your identity, your safety. Go from your kindred. This is your, your family, your network of relationships. He's coming from a communal, familial culture. He's saying, leave that all behind. And then he says, leave your father's house, your possessions, your inheritance, your security. God was calling Abraham to leave everything that had shaped him and all that he could live for on his own to pursue a new name, a new land, and a new purpose. And Abraham obeyed without having all of his questions answered. Said that he went without even knowing exactly where he was going. How difficult would that be? How difficult is that for us when God calls us into things that we don't know what the next step is? Can you imagine Abraham saying, okay, God, how long will it take? How will I know when I've gotten there? Will I be safe? Will I be accepted? How are you going to take care of me along the way? And Abraham obeyed without having all of his questions answered, and his obedience meant walking away from the known, the safe, and the secure life. Walk away from your country, your kindred, and your father's house. Man, how difficult this is for us on our faith journey, isn't it? See, God may take you on a journey where you don't know all of what is next. You just know the next step that you're supposed to take. You might not have the full picture. You just know the next step. Go, and I'll show you the rest when it's ready. I think this raises a few questions for us to consider. First one is this. Who are you really following? Have you decided yet to place your faith in Jesus? And whether you've decided that or not, are you still seeking to make a great name for yourself and to build a city for yourself, so to speak, to build your own little kingdom? Or have you placed your faith in Jesus and have allowed him to speak his new name over you and to lead you to the city that he has established? There's another question. What are the decisions that you're making in life revealing about where you've placed your faith? If you looked at your decisions, what would they tell you about where your faith is? Here's another question. What unknown is God calling you into? And are you willing to follow him into that? Last question for this part. What idols of your heart are being exposed as God calls you to follow him? Where are the places where you're finding yourself resisting what God is calling you to do and you're saying, not that far. Don't ask me to give that up. Don't ask me to leave that behind. So as Abraham placed his faith in God, the desires of his heart transformed to be aligned with God's. And this leads us to the second point, the obsession of faith. As the writer of Hebrews recounts Abraham's story, it's clear that Abraham, though far from perfect, did not have an apathetic response to God. Abraham became obsessed with the promises and the priorities of God, willing to surrender and submit to God's plans even when they didn't make sense to him. Abraham, first, he believed that God's promises were better than his plans. Look at Hebrews 11, 9 through 10 says, By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. 
Abraham believed that the city that God founded and would be building would be far better than anything that he could establish on his own. Far better than anything that he could build and put his life towards. He knew it was better to live for the city that God was founding and establishing. And Hebrews eleven fourteen says, For people who speak thus, that they've acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And if they'd been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. See, Abraham believed that God's promises were better than his plans, and so he lived for God's better country, the heavenly country. See, Abraham could have made other decisions. He could have turned around and said, okay, this is getting old, God. It's, this isn't what I thought it was going to be, and I'm returning back to what I had. At least it was secure there. At least it was known. At least it was my father's house and this land. But he didn't turn back because he was committed He was obsessed for living for the promises of God, even if it meant living as a foreigner, as an exile on this earth. See, our decisions reveal the treasures and priorities of our hearts. Our decisions reveal the treasures and priorities of our hearts. So Abraham believed that God's promises were better than his plans, but he also believed Abraham was also committed to the priorities of God. And God's priorities are always globally focused. Look in Genesis 12, verse 2 through 3, it says, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And if you stop there, you're like, yes, thank you, God. This is all about me, and I'm going to be great. But then he goes on to say, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God is saying, I have a global heart. I want all people to know of my blessing and my love for them. See, later Matthew would trace Jesus' lineage all the way back to Abraham. It was through Abraham's line that the Savior of the world, the Savior of all nations, came. So Abraham adjusted his own priorities around the priorities and promises of God. And he considered himself a servant to God for his purposes. Even to the degree that he was willing to live as an exile, as a foreigner, as a sojourner on this earth. And he knew that God told him, Genesis 12, 2, that he was blessed to be a blessing that any work that God did in him was to be expressed and, and reciprocated among all people. And so Abraham went and he followed God, not only because of his own inheritance, but because he became obsessed with the promises and priorities of God for all nations, for all peoples. He realized that following God is not about catering to ourselves but about abandoning ourselves for the sake of others. Radical obedience to Christ is not easy, David Platt says. It's not comfort. It's not health. It's not wealth. It's not prosperity in this world. Radical obedience to Christ risks losing all these things. But in the end, such risk finds its reward in Christ, and he is more than enough for us. See, Abraham desired God's promises. And our desires will drive our decisions. Let me say that again. Our desires will drive our decisions. 
I think this just raises a few questions for us to consider. First one is this, is how are you responding in faith so that others may know the love of Jesus? Is God saying to you, I want you to get up from your couch and I want you to go across the street to that neighbor and I want you to be a blessing to them and I want you to tell them of my love for them. After COVID-19 is finished, is he telling you, I want you to get up from your cubicle and go across to your other coworker's cubicle or from your desk to your classmate's desk and I want you to demonstrate and to tell them of my love for them. As he's saying, I want you to go from standing to kneeling in prayer on behalf of the nations and on behalf of those who are far from Jesus but near to you. Next question, what safety, security, and comfort is God calling you to leave behind for his greater plans and purposes among all peoples? What is he calling you to leave behind Next question, do you believe that God's plans for you are better than your own plans? Or or do you think that you actually maybe know better and have better plans? Whose plans are you going to follow? Do you believe that Jesus is a greater reward than any earthly reward you could live for? And finally, what are your greatest desires and how are these shaping your decisions? What are your greatest desires? desires, and how are those shaping your decisions? But Abraham's faith journey certainly wasn't easy. In fact, Hebrews eleven thirteen says that these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. The faith of an exile means living in tension. This is our last point, that the tension of faith. See, faith in God's promises does not always mean fulfillment in the present. Let me say that again. Faith in God's promises does not always mean fulfillment in the present. Look at Hebrews 11, chapter 9. It says that by faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. He went to live in the land of promise, but he lived in tents. I wonder if there was ever a point when he's going, wait a minute, this isn't like the established city that others are. This isn't, this doesn't represent progress, God. This doesn't represent like security and and safety and wealth and prosperity like I like I was understanding. I'm living in tents in this land of promise. I mean, maybe it would be like building or buying your dream piece of property to build your dream house, but you never get to build your dream house. Instead, you continue sleeping in tents there. Instead, he had to continue living as a stranger in exile. In Genesis chapter 23, verse 4, he even introduces himself this way to those in that land. And he died along with others, not seeing the promises fulfilled but he continued to live committed to the promises, intention, living for the promises, yet not seeing them fulfilled in his time. See, we live in a world where we know the promises of God, but we see and we experience the opposite oftentimes. We see black men gunned down in racism. We see the poor trampled and oppressed. We see disease like COVID-19, bring all kinds of destruction. 
We see inequality in education. We know of billions of people who have yet to hear the gospel, the love of Jesus for even the first time. And we live in tension between God's promises and the fulfillment of them, knowing that we are called to live in faith as exiles in this world, captivated by the promises and priorities of God. So this raises a couple of questions in my own heart. Number one, how are you living in the present with the future in mind? Are you making this earth your final home or are you, are you staking all of your investments and everything and all of your hopes and dreams in this, in this lifetime? Or are you living in tents waiting for the better city to come? And is this tension that you're feeling, that you're living in, is it a response to what God is doing in your heart or is it in response to you living in conflict to something that God is calling you to and your resistance to that. Instead, it's all about your own agenda. Here's just a couple of points of application that I think that we can apply to all of us, kind of regardless of where we're at on our faith journey. I'm confident that these will speak to you at some point. So uh, here's just the first one. In Jesus, you can have a new identity a better name, a better city, and a better country. So your past doesn't have to define you any longer. God took Abraham out of his homeland, his country, his family, to reshape his identity and his purposes as he took him on this journey. And I believe that God desires to bring the same kind of life change to you and to me. Jesus is the one who's able to do this. He's the true and better Abraham. Think about it like this. God the Father said to Jesus, go, leave your father's land. Leave heaven and go to the earth. Go, you will live as an exile. You will live as a refugee. You will live as a foreigner among these people and a servant to them. In fact, you will give your very life. You will shed your blood on the cross that one day people from all nations will be blessed and will gather around the throne worshiping me. Jesus makes this possible. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. There's a new identity in Jesus. You don't have to build a name for yourself because the name God gives you is far better. Your identity is secure. And you don't have to prove your wealth. You don't have to prove your worth. You don't have to build a tower to say, look at how great we are. Because Jesus has proven your wealth, your worth, by dying for you in your place. Romans 8, 16 through 17 says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. But this faith requires a response. As we saw in Hebrews eleven sixteen. God was not ashamed to be their God because they had placed their faith in him. See, God cares about your response to him. So the application for you might today be saying, I am going to choose to place my faith in Jesus for the very first time. I'm going to admit that I'm a sinner and that I have gone my own way. 
I'm going to believe that Jesus has done everything necessary to pay for my sin and to give me a new identity, new promises that are secure in him. And I will commit to living my life for his priorities and his purposes. Here's our second point of application. We can live in tents now because we know that God is preparing a city for us later. We can live in tents now. We can live in the tension because we know that God is building a city for us later. This doesn't make living in tents easy. It's actually in this time that it really reveals what we're truly living for, but we know that there is something greater to live for so we can live in the tensions now, looking forward to the promises of God. Third one, faith in Jesus means leveraging our lives for the blessing of the nations. So we don't have to live for our own kingdoms like the people in the Tower of Babel who are trying to make their own city and make themselves look great. When we can live for the greater, eternal, global kingdom of God. Romans 1, 5 says, Through Jesus we have received grace and apostleship. That means being sent ones into the world to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. This means living differently in this life. It will mean leaving some things behind. It will mean entering into some unknown. It will mean seeing finances differently, seeing our kids differently, our careers and our career goals, all to be leveraged for the sake of making God's blessing known among all peoples. We simply cannot be followers of Jesus and live for our own name, our own city, or our own agendas. Last point of application is this. Following Jesus will mean living as strangers and exiles on this earth. When Christ becomes your identity, he reorders all of your desires. And your desires will drive your decisions. And so your values will not always line up with others. Your priorities will be different. Your decisions will be different. But as you live fixated on living for the better country, the heavenly one that God is preparing, you will find that you have a far greater hope than anything you could ever establish on your own. So I don't know where you find yourself in this story today or where you're at on your faith journey, but I know that what God did in Abraham, God desires to do in you, giving you a new identity a promise of a greater future and a greater purpose for this life now. Will you join me in prayer? God, we come to you today recognizing that we, like the people of the Tower of Babel, our hearts are bent. They're inclined to build ourselves up to preserve ourselves, to exalt ourselves, to try to build safety and security and success into our lives. But as we do that, Lord, we drift so far away from your purposes and from your ways, and we end up missing out, Lord. And the destruction that we feel is devastating. So today we cry out for you. Be our God. Lead us, Lord. We pray that you would give us a new name that you would give us a new identity in Jesus and with that a new home, a secure home with you, a better home, a better homeland, Lord. This is our prayer.
We pray, Lord, for obedience as we seek to step out in faith into the unknown, into leaving things behind, into risky waters. But we can do it, Lord, with confidence knowing that you are with us. And so, Lord, help us to step out into faith. And, Lord, give us resolute faithfulness as we live as exiles in this world, looking forward to the great promises that we have in you. And Lord, help us to live in this tension as we live in tents now, awaiting the far better city and homeland to come. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.